All right, so this week we're going to talk about being transformed into a disciple. Next week, transformed into a minister. And the third week, talking about God's call on our life. Because God has a call on every single one of our lives. And that transformation is a lifelong process. Let me read you a scripture, Romans 12, 2. If you've read the Bible for a long time, you've probably run across the scripture. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. My mom used to, I used to make dresses for yourself, right? And I remember distinctly, when I was three or four years old, she had this big old book, and you'd open the book, and there's big old patterns of the way to cut out the material and everything. Well, here it says, don't conform to the pattern of the world. The world has a certain pattern, a mold, a fashion that you've got to fit into if you're going to be part of the world. And it says, don't conform to that pattern. It says, but be transformed. We're talking about transformation for the next three weeks. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Start thinking differently than you've thought. You know how hard it is to change your thoughts? It's really hard. But you know what? God renews our mind so that we can think differently. We can believe differently. We start looking at ourselves differently. We look at our world and opportunities differently. It says, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the purpose of God, the will of God. Have you ever wondered, what is God's will for my life? Would you tell me what your will is? Um, I, it, I used to pray this way all the time, but whenever you'd pray for somebody that's sick, I'd say, God, if it's your will, would you heal them? Have you ever done that before? If it's your will, would you help me with this bill? <laughs> if it's your will, would you help me with my marriage? You know what? If we know the will of God, you don't have to pray that well anymore. Amen. We want to know the purpose of God, and then we don't have to hesitantly pray. We pray with faith because we know what God wants. And so tonight we're going to be talking about that. But here it says if, you tra- if you're transformed, you can know the will of God. Isn't that cool? Wouldn't you like to know for sure what God wants to do? Because then you'd have the confidence to pursue it. Look at 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory and are being transformed, there's that word again, into his image or his pattern. The world has a pattern, and you know what? God has a pattern, and if we fit into that pattern, all right, we'll be transformed into his pattern in ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit, all right? So this transformation process, listen to this. I'm going to read this, and I'm going to stop and just dissect it a little bit. The transformation process is a cooperative effort. We cooperate with God. He transforms us, but you and I, we've got to cooperate with God. He does his part, and in tandem, we do our part with him. We cooperative effort with the Holy Spirit who is working in our lives. Every day, the Holy Spirit is working in our lives, and it's over the course of a lifetime. We want quick fixes. God usually doesn't have too many quick fixes. In fact, the things that seem to happen all of a sudden have actually taken years and years to build up to, and finally, suddenly, it happens. The Bible says God is the God of the suddenlies. (laughs) He's the God of the suddenlies. Well, It might look like it suddenly happened, but it was the process of a long, long time. 
we always in Pentecostal circles, we want, God, I want to be able to pray and be people healed right then and there. Well, that woman that was healed by Jesus had 12 years of suffering before the final healing occurred. Even in Jesus' time, what seemed to be instantaneous wasn't instantaneous. It took time, and it was a process it was worked up to. So let me read this again. The transformation process is a cooperative effort with the Holy Spirit who is working in our lives over the course of a lifetime. So don't get into a sprint mentality. Get into a marathon mentality because that's just how life works. There's nothing quick and dirty in our life. There's a lot of dirty things, but there's not many quick things in life. All right? So transformation means metamorphosis. The original Greek word was what we would uh, translate into metamorphosis. And that's, there's a two-part meaning to this. Meta means change after being with. Change after being with. All right? So let's take Ben, for example. He's uh, in the military, and he runs across a four-star general who takes him under his wing and mentors him and everything. Ben would be changed after being with that general. <laughs> All right? We get changed after being with Jesus. You hang out with Jesus, you're going to be changed. I hang out with Jesus, I'm going to be changed. So that's what meta means. Morphosis means changing, from, um, changing form in keeping with an internal reality. In other words, what happens inside of me affects the outside of me. All right? If God puts joy in my heart, I'll smile. All right? If he puts peace in my heart, I'll look peaceful. I'll be real loose and happy and everything will be fine. Why? Because there's an internal change going on that's affecting the outside of me. So this, it's visible. So metamorphosis changed after being with and changing from the inside out, from the inside out. And then in the English dictionary, you would find metamorphosis is, a, is the process of transformation from immature to mature in stages, specifically in stages, as you would see a caterpillar in stages transforming into a completely different uh, thing, a, a butterfly in stages. And so let's, let's look at this today, transformed into a disciple, all right? Stage one, discipleship, transformation into a disciple. It says, in Romans 8, 29, it says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son. We need to start being more like Jesus. And a disciple is someone who becomes more and more like Jesus. They think like Jesus more. How does Jesus think? Well, get to know him a little bit more, and you'll figure out how he thinks. You don't need me to tell you. Spend some time with Jesus, and you'll start seeing how he thinks. When I've spent time with my wife, and I try to spend a lot of time with my wife, I have learned how she thinks. And you know what? She's learned how I think. And before I make a mistake, sometimes she says, hey, watch it. I know what you're thinking. <laughs> Have you ever done that? You're with your friend, your spouse. I know what you're thinking. In fact, sometimes we say things at the same time. We're like, whoa. That's weird. Well, it's not weird. After 25 years of hanging out with each other, we're going to start thinking the same way. You get with Jesus, you're going to start thinking like Jesus. Yeah. 
The Bible says his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But you know what? The more time you spend with him, the New Testament comes into play. You have the mind of Christ. You start thinking like Jesus because you're hanging out with him. You start acting more like Jesus. All right? I'm conformed to his image. I start acting like him. The Bible says his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. It also says his ways are higher than our ways. But you know what? As I hang out with Jesus, I start his ways become my ways. And I start acting more like Jesus. You know what? I could even start looking more like Jesus. I'm not going to have the long hair that I imagined that he had because I don't have any hair. But you know what? The smiles that he smiled, I can start smiling. All right? The peaceful look that I might have in my eyes are this the same peaceful look that my Lord and Savior has. And I start looking more like Jesus. And I'm going to naturally exhibit Jesus-like characteristics. Love, peace, patience, joy, authority, power, confidence, wisdom, spiritual insight. These are some things that I'm just going to start naturally having. I didn't used to have them. But now I see that I'm starting to have them a little bit more. Why? I'm being transformed into his disciple. I'm becoming a follower of Jesus. In fact, we need to talk about that, what his is, what is disciple is. But let's, let's hold off on that. I want to give you four characteristics of a disciple today. Four characteristics of a disciple. And the reason why I want to give these to you is so that you can measure yourself and see Am I a disciple of Jesus? You can answer the open and honest question. Am I a disciple of Jesus based on these four characteristics? And here's the scary thing. I can look at you if I get to know you a little bit and see, aha, there's a disciple or aha, there isn't a disciple. (laughs) You know, a Christian, this is a sad truth. A Christian is not necessarily a disciple of Jesus. And that's a dangerous path because that Christianity may not last very long in that person. <laughs> All right? A Christian must become a disciple of Jesus. In fact, I think God would tell us, how can you not be a disciple if you're a Christian, right? But a fair warning to us who call ourselves Christians, we need to be disciples of Jesus. We need to follow our Lord and Savior. Um, the missionary last Sunday, I don't know if he said it in the morning or the night, he said, here's, a, here's an oxymoron. No, Lord. <laughs> That's an oxymoron. The Lord is someone who's you should always say yes to. And if you say, no, Lord, that doesn't make any sense. He must not be your Lord. You have to say, yes, Lord. All right? Does that make sense? I loved it when he said that. But here's four characteristics of a disciple now, there's nothing new under the sun. I'm stealing this stuff, all right? So don't, you, you could go on the internet and find what I'm telling you here just like this. But I want to, to grow it a little bit and make sure it's very, very clear in our minds so that it's usable. I had different words for this, but as I studied this acronym, I thought, wow, you can't get any better than this. So I'm just going to use it and then add a T to the end, and you'll see what I mean here in a second. The acronym is FAT. You need to be fat to be a disciple, all right? Not fat, but you'll, you'll see what I mean here. F-A-T-T. So there's two T's. That's the last one I'm adding to it. But it stands for faithful, available, teachable, and trajectory, all right? Faithful, available, teachable, and trajectory. If you have these qualities, 
you can be sure that you're a disciple or headed towards being a disciple of Jesus. All right? It serves as a proof that you're headed in that direction. All right, so let's study faithful. Here we go with faithful. I have not, I, I can't put into words, I've been a pastor for two years, a reluctant pastor. This is not something I ever dreamed. I guess I dreamed I would do it, but I was scared of it. And it's not anything I work towards. I don't have an education for ministry. I don't have, my parents were missionaries, so I grew up in ministry. I spent five years helping a church once and, and being somewhat part-time staff. But after that experience, honestly, I didn't want to do it. <laughs> it was kind of a, a good, bad experience. Have you ever been burned in church before? Anybody? All right. Welcome to the club. <laughs> we all go through it, all right? Church is not a perfect place. But um, why was I saying that? The, the reason why I was saying that is I've been a pastor now for two, two years, and I... I need people's faithfulness. Does that make sense? You know how scary it is to get up here on Sundays and wonder, are people with me or not? <laughs> Am I kind of all alone? You know, and it's really cool. I'm getting way off on a tangent here. The Lord has taught me how to walk alone. The Lord has taught me how to walk alone and not be scared of walking alone, living alone, you know, because when you get to that place, then you're not feeding off of people's approval. I'm just feeding off of God's approval, all right? And that's a good, good thing. But still, faithfulness is so stinking important in God's body, in, in Christ's body. It's in, in importantissimo. It's incredibly important, all right? And so let me, let's just kind of walk through this. Faithful to the call of God to follow, all right? So let's just use the 12 disciples as an example. Jesus is walking along the shore. You probably know the story. He looks over, sees two fishermen. Uh, it's uh, Peter and his brother Andrew. He sees these fishermen. And he says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. These men do something unbelievable. They drop their nets they leave their boats, they leave their business, they leave everything, and they set out to follow Jesus. And I have asked myself many times, if Jesus, you know, earthly ministry were to occur right now, and Jesus were to call me like that, would I follow him? That's a crazy thought. Would I do it? I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm really not sure. That's, that's a crazy call, but these guys were faithful to the call to follow Jesus. I want to believe that I would, but until you're confronted with that moment when Jesus says, follow me, it's hard to know what, the right, what, what your answer would be. It's hard to know, but they were faithful. And so a disciple, let's just talk about what a disciple is. A disciple is a follower and a learner. Okay, a learner. Are you a learner? All right? Do you like to pick up, and, and books aren't the only way to learn, but do you like to pick up books and learn more stuff? Do you like a mentor who will teach you new things and new ways of thinking? Do you like a coach that'll push you to the next level? All right? A disciple has to be that kind of person. They've got to be a learner. All right? They've got to be a, a, a follower. And I'm going to add a word here. This is my own word. They've got to be a receiver. A disciple has 
to be open to receive. Otherwise, they're not a disciple. If you know it all, well, you're not going to learn from anybody. The fact of the matter is none of us are know it, know-it-alls. We might think we are, but we're not. There's always that universe of knowledge that we don't have, all right? So we're a receiver, and we need to be filled with God constantly. So a disciple receives from Jesus. Now, these disciples receive from Jesus instruction. Jesus told them stories. He told them parables to, to teach them principles. He, uh, they receive from Jesus power and authority. They receive from Jesus a loving experience, uh, loving, excuse me, they receive from Jesus loving discipline. When Jesus disciplines you, do you receive it or do you reject it? It's a big question. You've got to receive loving discipline from the Lord. They received incredible experiences, all right? Once they were out fresh out of money <laughs> and they owed taxes and they had this crazy experience where Jesus said, hey, go fish out a, a, a fish. I'm not making this stuff up. This is in the Bible. Go fish out a fish, cut it open, and you'll find enough money in the belly of that little fish to pay your temple tax. All right? That was an experience they never forgot. So they received experiences, they received miracles, and they received how-tos. How to do this, how to do that. What do you do when your faith is attacked? Well, they received that. How do you do this when you're successful? And he just gave them all this all these, all these how-tos, all right? And we received it as bystanders whenever we read the Word of God. All right, but faithfulness, when you talk about faithfulness, what would it take you for, for you to stop being a disciple of Jesus? What, would, what event would it take for you to turn your back on God and say, I'm not going to be faithful to you anymore? You need to figure that out before it happens. Figure it out. Think worst-case scenarios, tragedy. Would a tragedy be enough to make you turn your back and not be faithful to God anymore? I don't know. You really don't know until it happens, but think about it before it happens and prepare your mind to say, I'm not going to be unfaithful to my God. I'm not going to do it. What would it be? Unpopularity? If all you lose all your friends, would that be enough to make you unfaithful to God? What if your husband or your wife left you? Would that be enough to make you unfaithful to God? What about losing your job? What about losing all your money? What about losing your house? Would that be enough to make you turn away from God? What about sickness? Would that be enough to make you turn away? What about loss? Would that be enough? Figure it out and say, God, I will always be faithful to you. I will always be faithful to you. All right? Um, we need to be faithful to God, and we need to be faithful to each other. All right? Faithful to people. Can you be faithful to people even if they're faithless back to you, even if they fail you? Think about that. In 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 8, 5, it says, um, this is the Apostle Paul speaking of a group of people. He said, they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God, they also gave themselves to us faithful to each other. You know, I, I see, I look at you guys and I see faithfulness. You're concerned about each other. I, it's, I love it that we fill that prayer request list because we're concerned about each other. 
we're concerned, and we pray for each other because we're concerned about each other. It says in 1 John 1, 7, it says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. We're faithful to each other. It also says to be faithful in prayer, Romans 12, 12. It says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. When was the last time you really prayed and talked to God by yourself outside of church? You might have been in the bathroom. <laughs> you might have been in the car. You might have been at work. When did you talk to God? But be faithful to God and be faithful even when you don't see results. You got to get serious. I'm going to be faithful even if I pray and don't see results. Faithful to God's words. 3 John 3, chapter 3, verse 3, 3, 3, 3. 3 John chapter 3, verse 3 says, He gave me great joy. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth. Are you faithful to the truth? Or are you faithful to the lie that keeps being whispered into your ear? Break ties with the lies that you hear about yourself about your future, about God, and say, I'm going to be faithful to the truth. What does the truth of the Word of God say? And I'm sticking with that. And I'm going to shut off the lies that the enemy tries to put into my heart. Second Chronicles 16, 9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the whole earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. If you're faithful, God is going to make you strong. If you're wishy-washy, you're never going to be that strong. But if you say, I'm faithful, God, I'm going with you, God, then you're going to be a very strong Christian because God is going to strengthen you. God wants to count on you. How do you think God feels when he says, here, can you go talk to that person? He says, oh, I'm too scared. Or if he says, you know what? I want you to change jobs and move to another city. Does that, are you going to say yes, God, or no, God? How much faithfulness do you have in your life to say yes to God? All right, so remember this, though. We don't produce faithfulness and commit ourselves to the Lord. He gives us faithfulness. So if you're lacking faithfulness, just say, God, would you, would you give me a little bit more faithfulness? And he will fill you full of faithfulness. So don't try to manufacture it. Don't say, I'm going to just try harder. Say, God... Fill me with faithfulness. You see how faithless I am. It says in 2 Timothy 2.13, it says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. All right? So you screw up, praise God. God won't mess up. He won't leave you hanging. He will fill you with faithfulness. Just, Just ask him for it. Here's the next one. So faithfulness, availability. In Mark 3.14, it said, um, Jesus appointed the 12. First of all, he spent a whole night praying, all right? He prayed on the mountainside, and then he woke up the next morning, and he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that they, he might send them out to preach. He chose the 12 to be available to him, and he's choosing you and choosing me to be available to Jesus. Are you available to God, or are you too busy Because the opposite of availability is just sheer, insane business. (coughs) Insane busyness. And so, um, listen to what these disciples were available to Jesus to do. They handed out food to people. They were available. Jesus said, hey, hand out these fishes and loaves, break them up, get people set up, and hand them out. They were available. Did they say no, no, Jesus? No, they said, yeah, we'll do it. All right? He sent them out once to get him a donkey. (laughs) 
doesn't sound real flashy, does it? Here, hey, go get me a donkey. If you get into trouble, tell the owner that I sent you and just bring me the donkey. They were available. Whatever he said do, they just went and did it. We talk about obedience all the time. You know, availability is more important maybe or precedes obedience. Put it that way. In order to be obedient, you first have to be available. It means willing. In other words, willingness. It says uh, King David wrote in the Psalms, he said, give me, um, oh, how does it go? I just lost it. Um, he, he was saying, give me a willing heart to sustain me. Give me a willing heart. In other words, make me available. Make me willing to be available to you. He sent them off ahead of him to preach, and they said yes. They prayed for people's healing and deliverance. He sent them off to do this. They even rode, rode, uh, like oars, a boat. Yeah, row, row, row your boat, all right? Gently all the way across the lake several times. They were available to him for that, to take care of Jesus' mother there. John did that for him. They did crowd control. They were available to Jesus. Are you available to Jesus? Think about it. Think about it. Excessiveness, excessive busyness keeps us from being available to Jesus. Let me tell you what. Busyness is a byproduct of fear, insecurity oftentimes, all right? A poor self-image. We've got to show that we're busy all the time. And you know what? We need to slow down and be available to God. Have you ever told yourself, I am so busy I don't even have time to think? That's a bad place to be. So busy... I don't even have enough time to think. If you don't have time to think, you're for sure not going to have time for God. And so you got to slow down and make time, make your time available to God. You know, we only have enough time here on earth to do what Jesus has for us. There's no extra time for extra things. Just enough time to do what God has for us. And so Jesus chose his disciples to be with him. We need to be available just to walk and talk to Jesus. Just spend time, rich time, reading his word, talking to him, listening to him. I love to walk and talk to Jesus. If you ever come at lunchtime, you might find me circling uh, Sunland Park. It's like a ghost town. There's nobody there at that mall anymore. It's completely almost shut down. And so I'll go at my lunchtime sometimes and just walk around there. I'll put some sunscreen on my bald head, put a cap on, and just walk and talk to Jesus. I want to be available to him. I want my time available to him. Or maybe get up really early in the morning or maybe at night and just read the word and be available to him. You look at Mary, Martha's sister, if you know the story. There was Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, but Martha's sister was totally busy and didn't have time to spend listening to Jesus. Mary, though, was, was attentive to Jesus. She was available to him. So if you ever lack, if you're too busy, Say, God, give me more availability. Receive availability from the Lord, and you will make yourself available to him. We need to be available for each other, all right? If we're so busy that we can't go visit somebody in the hospital, that's a big problem. That's a big problem. If we're so busy that we can't go take a meal to somebody who's sick, that's a big problem, all right? We need to be available to help, even if it's in little chunks of time, to help people make time, uh, make our money available to the Lord, our time, our effort, our attention. It says in 2 Thessalonians 2.8, it says, so you cared for us because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, 
but our lives as well. We need to be available to share with each other and help each other. Brother Jimmy and I are going to be reaching out to you and asking you to help in some of these areas. We met on Thursday. We made a list of all the things in our church, the needs in our church, and made a list of all your names. We said, hey, there's a lot of availability here. <laughs> we don't have to do it all ourselves. There's a lot of, there's a lot of gun power, powder here, man, that we can, we can help each other. So availability. The, the third one is teachability, all right? One thing that we promote, listen to this very carefully. One thing that we promote to our teens and our young adults is being anti-cool. Anti-cool. I don't like being cool, and I don't like it when people try to be cool. Because when you're cool, you're not humble, you're not teachable. You, you're all that in a bag of chips, you know, and that, doesn't, that just doesn't work out in life over time, all right? So we want to teach our teens, don't be cool. And so, <laughs> I was about to say something mean, but I'm not going to. You know what? You're not going to find a cool teen in our group. You're not going to find a cool young adult in our group, because we're... We never said it in so many words, but that's just the way that it is. You know, as adults, we can try to be cool as well. It's called something different. You know, it's cliquish and, and elitist or whatever you want to call it. We don't want that here. <laughs> it's uncool to be cool, right? And so um, I'm not cool. Thank, whoever just, did you just tell me that? Oh, I, was, I would take that as a compliment, but Nasir, you're not very cool, man. So... <laughs> That's what I was going to do, Therese, actually. I was going to say it to Kyle and us here, but I, you did it for me, so that's good. All right. So we have to be humble and teachable. And, you know, one of the main activities that Jesus was involved in was teaching. Jesus taught, and he was called teacher. Now, if a teacher teaches, we've got to be teachable, right? It kind of flows that way. God is wasting his time, not that God ever would, but he's wasting his time if he's teaching us and we're not teachable. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? We've got to receive the teaching that's coming to us from the Lord. Now, God uses some crazy ways to teach us. He uses people to teach us. <laughs> Imperfect, goofy, messed up people to teach us. All right, this is one of many ways, but this is one of them. And when you can't receive from a person what they're trying to tell you or offer you, that means you're not teachable. You've got to receive from those around you. You know, I try to do this, and I fail many times. I try at work to, re to be taught by people that report to me. They teach me things. And so I try to open my mind to what they have to say. And then I have peers, people that don't report to me, maybe in a different department or whatever. They teach me all kinds of stuff. And then, of course, I have bosses and people that are higher up in different areas. I receive teaching from them. You know who has taught me more than I could ever have imagined? Are my very own kids. My very own kids. They teach me all the time. If I'm this parent that's, you know what? You just do what I tell you to do, and that's it, and shut up and eat and do your chores and study. You know what? I'm the one that suffers from that. They do too. But you have to have this teachable spirit and not always have your thumb on people because then you'll never learn anything. God uses people to teach us. 
He also uses experiences that teach us. Did you know you can learn from watching a movie? I've learned all kinds of godly principles. I got to watch which movies I watch, but the ones that I watch or the shows that I watch, I get these like, oh, that's like an epiphany. Like I just learned something there. It teaches you experiences. You go, I had a five-year-long experience, not a very fun experience. There's parts that were fun, parts of it not so fun. I learned from a five-year-long experience. God taught me something. And so when you're in the fog going through your valley, and it's lasting, I remember one night, man, 3 a.m., I was so upset, so miserable, so confused. I got up out of my bed. I said, I'm not sleeping tonight. I put on my sweats. I started walking, and I remember telling Jesus, Jesus, I'm so confused. Have you ever been there before? I don't understand what's happening here. And you know what? About three years later, I started seeing what the deal was. (laughs) All right? So if you're in that place, Jesus is teaching you something. Receive it, whatever it is. He teaches us, obviously, through the Word of God. When we read the Bible, He's teaching us something. And then there's that still, small voice that comes from the Holy Spirit whispering in our ears. And we say, no, I don't like what you're telling me. Well, we're not teachable. But if we say, yes, Lord, I don't get it exactly, but yes, I receive what you're teaching me. You receive it, you're teachable. You're teachable. So those are four ways right there that God teaches us, and we need to be prepared to receive. It says in 2 Peter 3.18, it says, but grow in the grace and what? The knowledge of the Lord. Teaching is knowledge that's coming to us. And this knowledge is is, uh, translated literally experiential knowledge. Not just theoretical knowledge, but practical, applicable knowledge that's received from God. You receive it and you grow in it. The more you, you learn from the Lord, the more you grow, obviously. As would a student, they grow They learn more about math. And then finally in college, they actually get to apply all the stuff that they learned, hopefully. All right? But you grow through the knowledge of God. And so the last T, F-A-T, now we're on the last T here, is trajectory. Trajectory. And this is uh, the progress that you're making. The progress that you're making. There's nothing worse than stagnation, spiritual stagnation spiritual complacency, just accepting the status quo and saying, I'm good with where I'm at, God, no more. A disciple never stops growing. Do you get that? A disciple never stops getting closer to God. A disciple never has uh, uh, all the knowledge. There's always more to learn. There's always more to receive from God. Even when we get to heaven, I believe there'll be continued growth and knowing God more and more. There's no limits to God, so how could we ever think that we've arrived? We have, there's a trajectory of growing closer to God. So I would tell you, you know what, if, if I'm talking to you and you're every Saturday night, you're going to bars and clubs and, and partying, well, if you just got saved and I see you growing in the Lord, I'd shrug my shoulders and say, God will get to you eventually about that stuff. I'll tell you the truth. It's bad, but don't get under condemnation. 
just listen to the Holy Spirit, and you'll pull out of that stuff eventually. But if there's a Christian who's been a Christian for 20 years, and they're partying every night, I would say their trajectory is going in the wrong direction, and I'm concerned. I'm concerned. And so maybe we need to talk, and, and iron sharpens iron, and I kind of get in your face and say, hey, this isn't, this isn't good, all right? Same thing with, and this has happened. Both of these scenarios have happened, but, you know, uh, a couple is living together, out of, out of marriage, all right? They've been knowing God for 20 or 30 years, literally. This is a true story, and they're living together, and they don't see anything wrong with it. Well, I took the guy to lunch, and I said, hey, dude, <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're messing up, man. This is not godly. Here's what the Bible says. Never saw him again, all right? Whereas a couple walks in, they're living together, they're getting closer to the Lord. I'm going to let God take care of whatever he needs to take care of, all right? Let God, so that trajectory is so, so important. Just same like tithes, you know? If, if you walk in, I'm not going to say, hey, give your tithes, you know, give your tithes to the Lord. But as you grow closer to God, I pray that God begins to work on you and say, I'm going to set, and some people to might totally disagree with me, I'm going to start with 1% with God. <laughs> I'm a big fan of this, all right? I'm going to test God and see. I'm going to say, God, here's 1% for you and 99% for me. <laughs> and you know what? That worked. I can live on 99%, and furthermore, I've seen God bless me, so now I'm going to do 2%, whatever. Yeah. But anyways, that trajectory, you get going in the right direction, and that's what matters. That's what matters, all right? But none of this should lead to condemnation because that's coming straight from the enemy. This is a matter of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. So listen to this in 1 Timothy uh, 4. 15, and then I'm going to skip back to some verses prior to that, but it says, so uh, it says, be diligent in these matters. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to his spiritual son, Timothy. He says, but give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. And I want to ask you right now, can someone see that you're progressing in the right direction? Are you making spiritual progress? Is there a trajectory that's upward pointed <laughs> that you're getting to where you need to go, all right? And so the things that he says diligently uh, give yourself to these matters, what he was talking about was in verse 12, he says, set an example to the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity, and until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Don't neglect the, the gift which was given to you through the prophecy of the body of elders when they laid hands on you and be diligent to these matters and give yourself wholly to them so that whoever um, so that everyone may see your progress see your progress on Wednesday nights there's a group of us that gets together and our goal is to see each other grow as disciples of Jesus to grow in Christ to see each other grow that's what the teens and young adults do as well to see each other grow. And I challenge you, make yourself, teachability is vulnerability, <laughs> all right? You open yourself up, and we're going to see some yucky things, you know? There's some messes in our lives. There's some messes in my life, some messes in your life. But when we're teachable, we open ourselves up, and God just begins to fix things, fix things, fix things over the course of a lifetime. 
over the course of a lifetime. So remember fat. We need to be a disciple. We need to be fat. Faithful, available, teachable, and have that trajectory going in the right direction.